anticipation, and, um, and we're supposed to talk about joy, uh, both of these things. Uh, and, and the reason we're supposed to talk about both is, uh, so you should have, uh, everybody uh, should uh, have uh, the devotional, the Advent devotional that we've uh, been walking through. And, and hopefully you've been using that. If not, you know, it's not too late. Uh, we're just starting week three, so we still got a couple weeks left to go. And, um, and the way uh, it's structured is uh, they take the, the traditional four, uh, like faith and hope and, and love and joy, uh, and then they, they reframe them with a different word. And uh, this morning, uh, the traditional uh, pink candle represents joy. And this morning, uh, I want to talk in terms of, right? And I think of uh, anticipation uh, probably similarly to uh, how Beth described uh, this, this awaiting for presents and, and waiting for Christmas morning. Um, kids in particular, you can probably resonate with what this feels like. Uh, so there's a joy of Christmas morning and, and the excitement of that, and it's a different kind of joy. And there's also the joy of waiting for Christmas morning, right? You see the difference, right? This, the anticipation of it. It's like this, lead, you know this thing's going to happen and you're waiting for it to happen and, and, and you're expectant and you're hopeful, and, uh, but it hasn't happened quite yet. Uh, a few years ago, I actually asked Lizzie, what's more uh, exciting to her, the lead up to Christmas uh, morning or like Christmas day itself? And I was surprised when she said, actually the lead up uh, to Christmas. Now, she might say something different this morning if you ask her, so this was a while ago. Uh, but some people, uh, in particular, uh, there, there are particular personality types who actually get a lot out of the anticipation of it all, right? And so there's a way in which this kind of joy is, uh, well, I've, I've thought about it in terms of like slow joy, uh, it's, it's a slower-paced kind of joy. Or, or maybe it's the joy before the joy, right? It's, it's the, it's the lead-up to the main event. Or we could uh, think of it in terms of joy uh, with faith. This, this faith that the thing's going to really happen. Christmas is going to come, and, and my parents are going to come through, and there's going to be presents under that tree. Uh, or faith that... The day will come when the heavens open up and, and, and Christ ushers me in, right? And there's a joy that we can have in preparation for that. Same with hope, really. There's, there's a joy mixed with hope and the hope of this thing that hasn't quite happened yet. Or maybe most important, joy mixed with patience. That's what anticipation really is, right? It's patience, like patiently awaiting the day or, or sometimes not so patiently awaiting the day and, and saying, oh, I just want to open these presents right now, especially once those, uh, I don't know what your house looks like, but if there's a Christmas tree in the house and, and then what the way it works in our house is slowly over time, like presents begin to like uh, be put under there, usually for other people or, you know, not ours, but inevitably the, the kids will say, oh, is that, is that mine? You know, is, can we open that tonight? You know, and we say, no, it's only December 1st. Uh, and, uh, 
uh, but there's a patience, right, that is needed for this kind of joy. But it is joy nonetheless. The passage we're going to read today is Isaiah uh, chapter 35, and there's a joy, there's an expectation, there's a hope, there's a a faith of what's going to come, and then there's the joy of the moment that we're in, kind of anticipating it and hoping for it and, and waiting for it, and it feels a lot like the season that we're in right now. Before we begin, please, uh, let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we come this morning worshiping you. Lord, we have already been in worship together. We give you thanks. We give you praise. We give you glory. Lord, what we do in this life, um, when we're at our best, we do it for you. We, we know who we are and whose we are. We are yours. And we seek uh, to uh, live a life in obedience to you. God, I pray this morning that you open our minds and our hearts. Lord, speak to us a, a new word, or maybe an old word. Simply a word that we need to hear. A word that will get us through today and this week. A word that will spur us on to being better followers of Christ. And we pray all these in Christ's name. Amen. Um, There's three parts to what I want to say. And and I'm going to jump around with the three they, they all have uh, their place with anticipation. And uh, just to simply kind of throw the three out there, it, it really goes like this. It's, it's simply put, uh, and again, coming back to like a, a Christmas morning uh, scenario here, there's the, there's the recognition that uh, I have this desire in life. Or maybe we might even call it a need, Right? And uh, for kids, uh, in, in preparation for that, that uh, Sunday, or that, well, it is Sunday this year, uh, that Christmas morning, uh, it's, it's definitely a desire. And the, the fine line that sits between desire and need is, uh, is malleable, it's porous, right? Desire, what I desire or what I need. Um, but the truth is uh, that uh, the passage we're going to read, uh, it gets at some of life's larger needs and, and the recognition that um, we often find ourselves in times of trouble or times of uh, a desert situation, which is, is how the, uh, the passage begins, uh, a, a situation where we are in need primarily of God, right? This is where I'm really going, I'm not heading toward presence on Sunday morning. The second part is... Uh, is that there is a gift, right? That something uh, has to be, that has to happen, and, and there's somebody that has to make uh, the need, uh, that has to fulfill that need, right? And somebody's working, maybe it's behind the scenes, maybe it's doing the thing that you don't even know they're doing. And so Christmas morning doesn't just like pop up on its own, 
mostly it's moms, but sometimes dads. Like we're all, we're all working together to make that happen and to make it a, a, a wonderful day and a beautiful thing and, and to create memories. And, and then that is the third part. Is the, it's the promise of it all, right? It's the, it's the beautiful vision of what's going to happen. And these are the three parts, right? There's the need itself, there's uh, the person working behind the scenes to make the need, and, and then there's the promise of the need fulfilled. Um, in essence, that is the story of uh, the scriptures writ large, right? There's a recognition that post-fall, post, uh, you know, Adam and Eve in the garden, uh, we have this desperate need. We're in a situation where we have fallen and uh, we can't help ourselves. But we also have this vision uh, of what's to come, a, a world that is to come, a world that is a better place, a, a world that's a little bit like, maybe a lot like Eden, but is actually a world redeemed that you can find at the end of the book of Revelation. And then in the middle of it all is, is God working behind the scenes, Right? And we get all of these things, actually, in our passage for this morning. Isaiah 35, 1 through 10. If you'll, if you'll turn there, uh, we're going to read through the whole thing, and, and perhaps you can take notes in your margins or, or, or make little notes here or there where God speaks to you, and, and you find a word that, uh, that stands out, is, is something you need this morning. I encourage you to open your Bibles as we walk through them together. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. We've got one in front of you, uh, and I would highly encourage that you pull that out. Uh, and if you need it, you're welcome to keep it. Uh, we have a bunch extra, uh, so feel free. Isaiah chapter 35, verse 1, starts in the wilderness. The wilderness and the dry land. That's kind of all we need to know at this point, right? The wilderness and, and the dry land is not a great place to be. There's not much life in the wilderness, is there? There's not water. There's uh, maybe some cactus here or there. Perhaps you want to think of uh, like the Sahara Desert or something like that, or maybe the Mojave Desert, uh, or uh, maybe parts of Israel if you've been there, or you know, whatever desert you know, image comes to your mind and you realize maybe you'll see a, a, like a gecko every now and again. Uh, if you walk far enough, you might come across uh, some sort of water here or there, but on the whole, it's a dry and desert place. And it's not the place that is suitable for life. And this is where we begin. The wilderness and the dry land. Isaiah, by the way, is clearly beginning not with literal, but metaphor, right? He's, he's clearly beginning by evoking images for us that, that probably, for many of the, these readers, it certainly does for me, uh, reminds me of what I know from the Old Testament. The fact that Israel starts in Egypt and, and has to go through what? The wilderness and the desert place until it finally gets to the promised land, right? That trajectory over and over and over and over again through your scriptures. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice 
and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. What we find here is uh, number one and number three of the three things that I told you, right? There's the need, the fact that we're living in wilderness, and then there's the promise, right? This idea that, that even the desert itself will bloom and flowers will grow, and that, in fact, it will become an abundant place of, uh, of greenery. And when he names things like Lebanon, Carmel, and Sharon, these are places uh, that are uh, filled with, well, Lebanon is known for its trees. Uh, this comes uh, up any number of times in the Old Testament as, as a place that, that uh, I guess Israel got a lot of its wood from, Okay. And then these other two places, I admit I had to look up uh, as far as like their importance, Carmel and, and Sharon, both known for their fertility, for the fact that they're gardens, for, for the fact that uh, they, they do have that life that I said was missing in the desert place, right? And so it'd be kind of like saying, um, you know, uh, uh, if we were to translate it today, uh, <laughs> The desert, the Mojave, it's going to become like the redwood forest. It's going to become like the cornfields of Iowa. It's going to become like Randy Cornell's backyard, <coughs> which is filled with gardens. He has a very nice backyard, <coughs> as, as do many others. <laughs> and they shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. And then he goes on, and he moves from um, what at this point is clearly imagery, and now he, he begins to get personal, right? The author begins to envision that there's a problem, not just with like the land or something like that, but with, with real people, people like you and people like me. And so he says this, he says, uh, strengthen the weak hands, and make firm the feeble knees, and say to those who have an anxious heart, let's just pause a second before we say what they say, right? This is somebody who has weak hands, feeble knees, and an anxious heart. The anxious heart is, is, is like a, a fast-beating heart, right? And maybe... Maybe the weak hands is, is like the sweaty palms of uh, if you have ever had to give a speech before and you weren't quite ready for it, you know. And uh, the feeble knees, well, you've, you've probably seen the person who's, who's shaking and, and maybe they lock their knees in and they end up passing out or, you know. And God says, well, to these people, if this is you, and here he's, he's actually speaking to Israel to tell these people a certain message. And he says, say to those who have that anxious heart, and, and then it's like a few lines of words from God. Be strong. Fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. 
with the recompense of God. He will come and he will save you. And here we move from category number one, which is that there's a problem and there's a need. And we move away from category number three, which is uh, this is the promise of what's going to happen, that uh, everything in the desert is going to bloom. And we now move squarely into category number two, right? Which is that there's somebody working behind the scenes to make all this happen. And in category number two, it's made very clear who this actor is. It's, it's none other than God himself, right? And they say, don't worry. Do not be afraid. God is coming. He's strong, even if you are weak, need. <laughs> don't worry. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. And uh, some of you may not like the idea of God being a, uh, the kind of God who is uh, coming with vengeance. But you've probably never been a kind of person who's needed a God of vengeance then, would be my suggestion. There are times in life where we desperately need God to come in and take care of business. Whoever that enemy is, maybe it's deeply personal, but, but maybe it is like uh, the enemy of depression. Maybe it's the enemy uh, of my anxiety. Maybe it's something like that. And we desperately need a God who is going to come in and take care of business. He is a God who will come with vengeance and with the recompense of God. And most importantly, he will come and he will save you, right? And then it says this, after this happens, there's a few signs that this third category is taking place. The eyes of the blind, they're opened. The ears of the deaf, they're unstopped. The lame will leap like a deer. The tongue of the mute will sing for joy. Here again, uh, very personal uh, acts that God is acting on behalf of, of us, right? We've, we've found a person with weak knees, or weak hands rather, feeble knees, and an anxious heart, and now the eyes of the blind are open, the ears of the deaf are unstopped, the lame uh, are leaping, and the tongue of the mute are, are singing out, right? And clearly, God is, uh, or the, the prophet Isaiah, is, is going through like every body part he can name uh, to offer the ways in which God will make things right within you. And then he goes back to the, to the uh, desert imagery. And he goes back to the, uh, the metaphor of, uh, of the land itself. And he continues, and, and he says, The waters break forth in the wilderness, and the streams in the desert. The burning sand become like a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals where they lie down, the grass becomes like a reed and, and, and rush begins to grow. And so you have this place that was once dry. That is what a desert is, right? It's a place that has no water in it. And now it's filled with water. 
It has waters breaking forth. It has streams. It has pools. It has all the things you would want that make life possible. And this is what God is doing in this land. Now, I should back up. Some of you might have uh, noticed that in the part about the eyes and the, the ears and the lame and the did, did you hear overtones of anything? Did, did that remind you of something that maybe even just vaguely you thought, feels, this feels familiar, right? And uh, it should, right? These are the sorts of things, of course, Jesus is doing throughout his ministry. As he goes about doing his, his daily tasks, he's, he's doing these very things. He's, he's opening the eyes of the blind, and he's unstopping the ears, and, and he's making the lame to walk again, and he's, he's opening the mouth of the mute, right? These are literally the very things he's doing in his ministry. In fact, John the Baptist himself in, in Matthew asks Jesus, like, uh, are you the one who is to come, or... Are we still waiting for somebody else? Do you remember this scene? John's in jail at this point. And this, he's still weirdly wondering, like, Jesus, are you the guy? Are you our Messiah? And I'll just read for you what Jesus says back to him. Jesus answered, well, go and tell John what you hear and what you see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. Blessed is he who takes no offense at me, right? And here it seems like he's at least echoing what we find in Isaiah 35. Throughout his, his earthly ministry, he's certainly living it out, right? And then when we get to the, the waters breaking forth and the streams in the desert, it, it's possible you might hear, like from the Gospel of John, this, this notion that Jesus offers us uh, what's called living water, right? Or, or water that keeps rushing. And, and perhaps this is being referenced here as well. But it goes on in verse 8. It comes back to this idea uh, of, of a highway. I talked about this a few weeks ago. It becomes an important image for Christians uh, uh, early on, and, and I would say to this day, Isaiah 40 is the the place to really go for the way of the Lord or the highway being being built. But but here we have it again, right? And in verse 8, we see this, that in this desert place, a highway shall be there. And it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. Now, if we didn't have anything other than the Old Testament, if, we, if all we had was, um, like, let's say, the book of Isaiah and before, what is Isaiah talking about when he says that there shall be a way of holiness? Well, I would offer to you that it's, it's most likely something like this, that, there's, that holiness for, for Isaiah is a, a ritual cleanness, it's, this, it's this, uh, this thing that uh, early Israelites and Jews would do to make themselves pure, another word he uses here, so that they could go to Jerusalem 
and, and worship before God and be in the presence of God. And so they would, they would make themselves ritually pure. I don't know that we should read it quite that way, however, because when you move through and into the New Testament, we get something else happening. We get Jesus fulfilling the Old Testament, first of all, and instead of understanding holiness as something that we do to our bodies or, or some, uh, something that is like external to us, Jesus makes it very clear that it is the pure in heart who shall see God. And holiness becomes something very much rooted way down deep within us. And we should be kind, the kind of people who are able to walk this highway of holiness because our hearts have been cleansed. And then it's worth asking, well, how does that happen, right? How does that happen? We'll get there, but I think you know the answer. I hope you know the answer. <laughs> the unclean shall not pass over this way. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. That's how wide this highway is. Even if, even if you're an idiot, you can walk this highway because it's just obvious, right, where the path is. Um, roads were different back then, as you might imagine. And it says, talks about the safety of this path. It says, no lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come upon it. They shall not be found there. And then it says this. And th these last lines here, I, th I think, are, for me, the hinge of everything. It's, the, it, it's where the, uh, the, the, the message uh, really comes to a fore. And where that, that first category and that third category meet together in category number two of the, the person working behind the scenes and it says this, it says, the redeemed shall walk there, and the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be on their heads, they shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. How? How is it that we are redeemed how is it that we are ransomed? Once again, I think if we turn to our New Testament, Jesus makes this abundantly clear. And perhaps the, the most um, forthright statement he tells us in, in, the, in the Gospel of, of Mark about how this works. In Mark 10, 45, Jesus of man himself. The Son of Man came not to serve, or not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. As a ransom for many. The imagery is the same imagery that we find in Isaiah 35. It's actually the same imagery that we find way back in the book of Exodus. It's the imagery that we are in need. But here now, the image of slaves. And we need to be set free. 
And Jesus makes it clear that there's just one way to do this and that he's the one who's capable of setting us free and ransoming us. And how? How does he do this? Again, as I said, in one of the more forthright statements he gives us, he says that he himself will give his life as a ransom for many. And so the working behind the scenes of number two, it's one thing to say it's God working behind the scenes to make this happen for us, to, to prepare a way or to, to make the new Jerusalem uh, a reality. But Jesus makes it clear that, that God working behind the scenes is more um, precise than that. It's, it's Jesus himself who's working behind the scenes on your behalf and on my behalf. How is he doing so? Well, he's done so by giving his life as a ransom for many. In a moment, we're going to take communion in which we remember this exact act. The, exact of, the, the act of, of Jesus giving his life as a ransom for many. We'll take the bread and we'll take the cup and we will remind us, we will remind ourselves, frankly, the, the reason we're here at all, the reason why we keep gathering on a weekly basis and why the church has existed for 2,000 years because at the heart of it all is that Christ has given himself up for us. He has ransomed us from this place of need and is ushering us toward this place of goodness, what we still anticipate, what we await with joy. And this morning, let us remind ourselves of all of that story. Uh, Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we know that 2,000 years ago you sent your son, Jesus, into this world as a baby, as a child, And that it was all heading toward this one collision course with Rome and with the first century Jews of his day where he would be crucified and he would die on our behalf. But God, we know you don't leave him there. We know that you resurrect him from the dead. And with his resurrection, we are given the promise. We are given something to await we are given something to be joyful about and to anticipate. And that is our own resurrection. The possibility that this life is not all there is, that there is so much more left. God, we thank you for this. In the moments that follow, may we get our hearts right with you as we prepare ourselves to take the cup and to eat the bread one more time pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's take just a few moments. The band's going to play, and we will take uh, communion together in a minute.
confess, um, it's hard to have a, uh, a service with the joy candle while we also celebrate uh, the death of somebody. Here, the death of Christ, right? And this gets back to what I think Beth was trying to tell the children, which I totally, I was tracking with. That joy and uh, sadness sometimes commingle and can be found together. And we know that through Christ's death and through Christ's resurrection, we find an ultimate kind of joy. But the passageway must lead through there first. And so on one of the last nights that Jesus was on this earth, he met with his friends in an upper room, and they had a meal together, and this is what he said to them. He said, as, as they were eating together, Jesus took bread and, and blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, and he said, take, eat, this is my body the body of Christ, broken for you. And he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. The cup of Christ shed for you. As we conclude our service, it's my prayer uh, that through the taking uh, of the elements today that we remind ourselves of the story in which we find ourselves. It is a story of need. It is a story in which uh, Christ has fulfilled that need for us. And it's a story that awaits with eager anticipation the possibility of full redemption. Let's stand together and sing together. Behind your ring. 
here because I, w- I want to read to you the last verse one more time of the joy uh, that is on uh, the faces of the people as they walk back to Zion, something that is possible for us as well through the blood of Jesus Christ. It says that the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy, everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. May that be true for you this week. Go in the peace of Christ.